Welcome to the Tangent Podcast. It's good to be back with you. It's been a while. Hi! How y'all doing? I'm good, how are you? I am well, except uh, got some kind of sickness, tested negative for COVID, but got some kind of sickness. Great. I hurt my back really, really bad, so that's where I'm at. So, never mind, we're not good. One of my nostrils has been plugged up for like five weeks. That's just annoying. one. Just one. It's always just one. See that that to me is one of the miracles of human evolution, because every single time I get like a sinus infection or a cold, only one of my nostrils gets plugged up so I can still breathe. And it's only one. And sometimes it'll switch like it'll just switch to the other one. And then the one that was stuffed up just opens up perfectly. I don't know how it works, but. Is it always the same one, or does it switch back and forth between the two? That's what I just said. It switches. Oh. Oh. I found sometimes if my, like, left nostril is plugged, if I, like, lay on my right side, it just kind of, like, travels over. So, like, I don't know if that's just coincidental, but it's weird. The human sinuses are an enigma. They are. Well, this is a different one because, uh, well... Just different because we are going to try a new platform as well. Uh, If you're watching this on the YouTubes, that's the new platform. Now, is this very, like, is this many different tubes make the YouTubes? Yes, sir. Oh, okay. I was was wondering. All the tubes lead right to your bathroom, my dude. I didn't want to tell you this. All pipes. (laughs) um uh, but if you are not watching that's a-okay we're still uh uploading to all podcasting areas as well we're just trying something new see if people like watching putting faces to stuff i don't know because i i find that i watch a few podcasts i don't know um like like there's like joe rogan he does it and then um i watch one called the wan show it's a technology one where they just sit around and talk as well. I don't know. I don't know why I like watching as much as listening, but it's fun. It is if fun. You, if you only want to listen, that's fine. But if in the video, you'll be able to see our faces, our reactions and stuff. And then also I can, I guess I can just bring on images that we're talking about and you'll be able to see them there in the video, yeah. but we can also, don't worry. We'll also upload them to the old social media as well. Mm-hmm. Or I guess you can just Google them yourself. Whatever you do. Or maybe you just don't care about them at all. I don't know. We'll get the social media going again. All right. What are we talking about? Or I guess, what, I guess drink first? Let's do drink first. What are we drinking, Jack? We are drinking... I think my camera's probably reversed. Let's see. Yeah, it is reversed. Unfortunate. Uh, but this no, is... I see it good on my end. Yeah, it looks good on my end. It's not reversed? Nope. nope. Why is it I think just on your me, end it is. Not you. Mine is reversed too on my end. Oh yeah, yours isn't reversed. What yeah, the heck? Looks good too. Ridiculous. All right, so this is Zoa. Uh, Zoa. It's backwards for people watching this video, um, but this is a healthy warrior energy drink. 
which this is Dwayne Johnson's Dwayne the Rock's energy the Rock drink. Johnson, and he says, and I quote, "My fellow everyday warriors, Zoa <laughs> is about healthy, positive energy that helps us all focus, be productive, and get stronger together. Mana gratitude, Zoa, Dwayne Johnson." Oh. Was that Dwayne Johnson for president? Yes, sir. I think I think that was uh, I think it said twenty twenty four at the bottom <laughs> there, right? Uh, yep. It says immunity, focus, hydration, body, and energy. Hey, if anyone's gonna have body in their drink, it's gonna be the freaking rock. That's, That's gonna there have better, body. There better be chunk of his peck in here. I'm gonna be <laughs> upset. All right. I I'm kind of nervous. This is wild orange flavor. But, I like orange flavor stuff. Yeah, orange is okay, but healthy energy drinks are usually not great. Oh, so. you know it's going to be good when the first three ingredients are carbonated water, sugar, and citric acid. And There's actually wrong. sugar in this one, huh? Yeah. How much sugar is there in here? Mine is sugar-free. Yours has sugar? Yours is sugar-free? Yeah. <laughs> we get a different drink. I don't know. Mine's Wait. this Zoa... Wild orange. I know there are. Some oh yeah, yours says ones, zero I mean... sugar. Mine uh, huh. does oh, not say man. zero sugar. Dang. Okay. Well, that's weird because this is the only one drinks. that was available there. Yeah, this is the only one available too. My place. Oh, it smells bad. <laughs> yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, it's not too bad. Not bad at all. Hmm. It's like that almost is... like it's like carbonated orange juice. Yeah, I was just gonna say the same thing. I'm like expecting some pulp to come out. Yeah, seriously, it's interesting. Not bad. I think I'd like the sugar one better. How much sugar's in it? A lot. Uh, Twenty-three grams. Hmm. So like half of a regular energy drink. I don't know. Yeah. I will say this. It's way better than the monster orange one. What? I like that the one. Orange one. Dude, I hate that one. It's garbage. I hate you. You're garbage. Well, eh. <laughs> cool. Well, well I, I would. What? Fact I'd give check that... that, Austin. Yeah, fact check. Let's Let's see what you got. I did. It says I'm not garbage. So, all right. So there. Um, I'd give that like a seven out of ten. Uh, I'm gonna go six and a half, maybe. Nah, I'm going all straight right. six. Respectable, respectable. Okay, cool. No other news on the social media. Surprise, surprise, because we haven't done anything for like a long time. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why. What, what even happened? Why? What? What made us stop all of a sudden? Sickness. Life. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Do we all need to Generals. give like life updates? No. Jack got married. I did get married. That's true. That's pretty big. It is pretty big. We when did you get married? Since then, like, right? I got married in August. Okay, that's right. So about I don't know if we recorded since. Well, we put the. Yeah, we put the Georgia episode up in August. That was the last one. Ah, oh, man, it's reversed. Oh, not for you guys. Yeah, I see it. Yeah. Just fine. It's the Credible Hulk. With facts and documented sources. 
You wouldn't like, like me that. when I'm angry because I always back up my rage with facts and documented sources. <laughs> Why is it reversed for me? I'm upset. Never Can mind. you not flip that on your monitor? I don't know. It's fine. All right. I think. Okay, we moving on to our space news there, Ryan. Ryan, space news. Space news brought to you by the wow, James Webb really Telescope. So the James Webb Telescope, we've been waiting for years and months and weeks for this thing to get out to its destination. So it's made its journey. It's unfolded. The It's reporting back on what the hot side temperature is and the cold side temperature. And what's crazy about this is that the this telescope is bigger, more powerful than the Hubble Space Telescope and is further out from Earth and is meant to have this shield that is keeping all of the sensitive equipment away from the sun, keeping the heat off of it so that you don't have the fluctuation in temperature. And so, most importantly, <clears throat> this telescope has very sensitive cameras that are in the infrared spectrum that are supposed to be able to allow us to see further back in time. Say that again for dramatic effect. Further back in time. That is pretty neat. Um, I'm putting up a image now of it comparing to the Hubble's main mirror. And like like one of the mirrors on the James Webb is like half the size of the whole entire mirror on the Hubble. Making it like it's like about four times bigger the mirror. It looks like something straight out of like Star Trek. Yeah, it really does. Uh this is it. It's next to a tennis court. It's as long as a tennis court apparently. That's and it. Apparently, yeah. So Hubble orbited really thought it'd be at, way bigger than that. Hubble orbited at 570 kilometers. You can see that here. And then the James Webb is going to what's called L2, which is 1.5 kilometers. Um but like L two, one, oh sorry, one point five million kilometers. Did I say not? Did I yeah, not I was going to say it <laughs> travel the travel the million mile, one point five kilometers. It is just across the street. Yeah, yeah it's one point five million kilometers, and it's at L two. Uh, have you guys heard of that? The Lagrange point. It's really weird. Nope. Like, I actually thought that. When I had first learned about this, I thought that the telescope was going between the sun and the earth, but that's not true. That's it's not true. going away so that it's the earth is between the telescope and the sun. It's using the earth as shield for heat, I think. Mm. So a Lagrange so. point, there are five of them, and they're really weird. I don't understand the science behind them, but let's see. It's a point of equilibrium for small mass objects under the influence of two massive massive orbiting bodies. Mathematically, this involves a solution of the restricted three-body problem in which two bodies are very much more massive than the third. It basically means once they get it there, it never needs any fuel or anything like that. So just like orbit, but... Uh, 
So it's kind uh, of stuck between two. Yeah, it's it's two it's bodies, stuck between like, the gravitational forces of the two large bodies and the centrifugal force balance of each other. That's what it says. I don't I don't huh. understand this at all. But that's, that's cool. it's actually it like the science like, behind it is insane. It sounds like the orbits of each body just kind of work against each other, and the force is equal on either side, so it keeps it in the same spot. Yeah, when the mass ratios of the two bodies is large enough, the points are stable points and have a tendency to pull objects into them. So, hmm. that's yeah, pretty cool. I've seen a pretty good diagram of it that it looks almost like a topographical map map where it shows you kind of like the height that you see on different mountain ranges. I think I'm looking at the same one. Are you on the Wikipedia page? Um, this one is coming from. No, not Wikipedia. Which? What's the what's the link? This one is coming from Stack Exchange. Stack Exchange. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because then they also do a 3D image of the same thing. So there's like a 2D one top down, but then they also show a 3D one. But anyhow, it's really interesting where you can see kind of those gravitational forces kind of converging on those points and it shows five different points around the earth that's that's the sun. really interesting it's not around the earth it's around the sun it's the one i'm showing is around the earth oh, there's only five places in the solar system that work i think in relation to the earth <laughs> and one of them is on the opposite side of the sun i don't know how it works but you know yeah, how the heck do they find these places like yeah, seriously, Nerds. With, without actually going there and, like, testing it kind of thing, how on earth do you know this stuff? It's insane. What know. blows my mind the most about this new one is Hubble. So, let me share this image with you. Hubble, and obviously it's not to scale, but Hubble was 570 kilometers away, whereas this one is 1.5 million kilometers away. Yeah, that's what I was looking at there. That is nuts. Like, here's Hubble right here. And then here's Webb. Obviously not to scale, but that's so crazy. Way, way further. Kind of crazy. Maybe when we run out of paranormal and creepy stuff, uh, we'll become a space podcast. I don't think we'll ever run out of paranormal and creepy stuff. That's fair. What do you cool. guys think? So, should, we, should we branch out a little bit or stay stay in the stay in the, the our own little bubble? You guys should let us know. Have a space episode one of these times. Just throw everybody off. Then like a cooking episode. Cooking episode, huh? Now it's that like, we're on YouTube, we could do one. It's like then you add the butter. <laughs> anyway. So yeah, we should uh, start seeing some pretty interesting photographs and such from that. And I'm really excited because I love seeing the stuff that Hubble can take pictures of. And like the Hubble telescope, let's see, when did Hubble It's like launch? the 80s, wasn't it? Oh yeah. No, 90s. Or it was the 19, it was 1990. Hmm. Okay. So... And then, dude, I heard that they started planning for this James Webb telescope two years later. So 92 is when they started on Holy this telescope. Holy cow. Well, it's a, apparently a $10 billion telescope. Imagine how much that changed over the years. Like, what do you think their stopping point was of like, okay, we know. finally, we, like, technology is advancing so much every year, but we just have to get this thing out. Like, 
they had to have a point where they're just like, all yeah, right, like, we're done. All right. Yeah, we can't wait any longer for new things kind right. of stuff. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, construction began in 2004. But that's wow. construction. I don't know when they started designing and whatnot. Yeah, that's crazy. So I wonder how outdated this technology really is now, you know? Yeah, and what, in two years they're going to start a new one that won't be out until 2030, 2040 probably, actually. Yeah. Wow. All right. Pretty well, cool stuff. Very cool. Very cool indeed. Let's move on. What's next? Encounter, right? Encounter, yes. All right. Okay. This year, Encounter had a uh, subject line of don't open your windows or doors if you hear knocking while driving. And that right there is just, I hate it. I hate it so much. Now, hang on, hang on. Because if you hear knocking, what if it's knocking from the engine? You want to, like, roll down the window and and hear... Oh, that's, that's what's pretty easy on. to tell. That does not sound like... I think you'd like... be able to tell. I think they yeah. mean, like, window. Or, yeah, right on your window or door, you would be able to tell. All right, you ready for this? Let's see. This actually happened to my dad when I was about 11 or so years old. I could tell when he told me this, the day after it happened, that he was genuinely scared. Before my dad retired, he worked all over the Midwest doing highway construction. He would be gone for one to two weeks at a time most of the summer, working sunup to sundown. One night, he was on his way home in the middle of the night. He was probably 40 miles from home, out in the middle of nowhere, when he heard knocking sound on the rear passenger truck door. He was instantly caught off guard and wondered if he should stop to get out and see what it was. He also thought about rolling his window down to see if he could figure out what made the sound. Something didn't feel right, so he decided to just keep driving. There was a town coming my coming up soon anyway, so if it happened again, he could check in the light. He got into town and the knocking had stopped. Somewhat relieved and getting closer to home, he decided to press on. As soon as he was out of the lights of town, the knocking started again. This time, he was terrified. It literally sounded like Knuckles knocking steadily on the back door. It happened a few more times until he reached the lights of his hometown. The next day, he told my mom and me. We all went out to inspect his truck, which was covered in dirt from the construction. Only on the back door where the knocking came from were what looked like knuckle marks. He all he knocked on the truck and it left nearly identical tri- marks. Not long after that, we were speaking with a medicine man. We were uh Anishinaabe? Oh man. Do you guys know what that is? Nope. I, I I'm probably butchering the Anishinaabe sound uh, feels right um but i probably butchered that i'm sorry not long after that we were speaking with a medicine man we we are on a shinobi and my dad told him what happened he told us that it was good that he didn't get out or roll down his window or whatever it was would have gotten closer things these things don't have good intentions and will try to trick you I'm glad my father was aware enough to recognize that it was something negative. If you hear knocking while driving, just ignore it and keep moving. 
Wow. That's weird. That was it. You just you just said it was a creature and don't roll down your window? That, that, well, that wasn't his story. I don't know. It's his dad, so... That's all the info we yeah, had. And maybe, maybe a couple months later, then his engine blew up, and it turned out the knocking was actually something else. Coming from the back? <laughs> That's where the engine is. It's in the back door. He, he was driving a, driving a VW Bug. <laughs> That's weird. Um, that sounds very similar to the to the stories of the black-eyed children that have their children super pale skin. They're usually dressed like an old, oldish, old-timey clothing, and they will come and knock on the window of your car and knock on the window of your door. It'll be super late at night. <clears throat> and if you open up your door, then they're going to come on in and they're going to bring all their bad curses with them. So they can't get in unless you open it? Is that is that behind is that lore? I believe yeah. that's how it works, yeah. Unless... They always ask for an invitation to like come in. So it's a vampire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, I think the fact that this guy didn't see who was knocking. Maybe it was that uh, ghost biker we talked about in that one episode. He got hit and he's like clinging yeah, to the top just, of the just keep, truck. Just keeps it's like, getting hey, hit. Hey, yep. can you stop for a second? <laughs> Yeah, it was it was the ghost biker. I think it was him. That makes sense. Let's see. Uh, just for context, the Anishinaabe is uh, used to describe oneself or a group of collective First Nations people belonging to that per- particular cur- cultural or linguistic family. Uh, apparently, they're from the Great Lakes area of Canada. I want to say it's kind of like basically Native American, but Canadian. I probably here's what one there. thing I know. Uh, anything involving Native Americans is instantly like a thousand times creepier to me. Oh yeah, Native Americans and children. It's mm. true. Yeah, so, kids yeah. are pretty creepy sometimes. There you go. Don't open your windows or whatever. Creepy. Creepy, creepy, creepy. All right, now let's uh, let's get on to this uh, the main event, shall we? Why don't you Why don't you kick it off and tell us what we're talking about today? All right, today we are talking about the one, the only, the D a B a Cooper. Where'd the B come from? Oh yeah, I think I know. Anyway, um, so one Dan Cooper is what it's known known as. Probably not his real name. Um. D.B. Cooper is a huge, huge story, and somehow Ryan's never even heard of it, which is insane to me. Never of them. So this was back in 1971. Keep that in mind, because airline security, security. was not good until after 9-11. That's when they actually started caring about airport security. So this was, you know, 50 years ago. Wow, yeah, 51 years ago? Math. Math is hard. Yeah, that's crazy, Uh, yeah. So, D.B. Cooper. So, the story is a man purchased an airline ticket. Uh, He was traveling from Portland, Oregon to Seattle, Washington. Uh, 
Um, and in Portland, Oregon, at the airport, he had purchased a one-way ticket to Seattle, Washington. And he purchased it under the name of Dan Cooper. Um, oh, that's why. A reporter misheard his name as D.B. Cooper, which became widely used. I did not know that's how it came about. I didn't either. Wow. Interesting. But yeah, so probably not his real name. Um, November 24th, 1971. Day before Thanksgiving, a nondescript man who appeared to be in his mid-40s and about six feet tall bought a $20 airline ticket. That would be nice. Yeah. Uh, For Northwest Orient Airlines Flight 305, he gave his name as Dan Cooper, which later turned out to be fake. (gasps) Shortly after takeoff from Portland, he handed a note to the flight attendant, in which he claimed to have a bomb in his briefcase. He then proceeded to open the attache case. Ooh, this is a fancy guy. Yeah, dude. Dan didn't mess around. Which contained numerous wires, red sticks, and a battery. So she thought it was eight sticks of dynamite. You don't you don't mess around with dynamite on a plane. First um, of all, I know I know airport security was not what it was back in the day. They apparently but I would didn't imagine even check. I would imagine they catch a briefcase full of dynamite, at least. No, dude. They they didn't they didn't I don't know. Maybe maybe they checked bags, but they seriously just opened it. Nope, you're good, kind of thing. Maybe he had like clothes on top of it. I don't know. That's crazy. Maybe they to didn't me check at all. You, I've, I feel like you would hear about a lot more airline bombings if they didn't check it all. Right? You know? Yeah, I don't know. Because if they didn't start doing this, I remember one time, kind of a side note, but the one time I really realized the magnitude of what 9 11 did for airport security was we were flying somewhere. I don't remember i think we're flying to disney world or something and this guy had a big old knife on him like bowie status knife like attached to his belt and he's going through security and they're like sir you can't take this on the plane and he's like why not like i've always been able to take that i guess he hadn't flown in a while but he's like i've always been able to take knives on planes and they're like yeah it's a weapon like you can't you can't do that anymore and so he had to like give it give him his knife and I just thought that was crazy. Oh, it was hunter, right? Yeah, it was Dundee? like a like crocodile Dundee knife. Yep. This is a knife. <laughs> yep. But I was like so shocked because at that point, I mean, I was like nine year or er, seven years old when nine eleven happened. But like, I just didn't realize what it did for airport security. And I went my whole life like, oh yeah, it makes sense. You can't take a knife on a plane. But yeah, this guy had grown up just taking knives on planes willy-nilly, I guess. and Every flight has an, a Sky Marshal, too. Mm-hmm. All of that kind of stuff. But, yeah, it's crazy. Every flight? Every flight, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Every commercial Every flight. Every flight? That's Am I wrong a lot about that? of flights. That is a lot of freaking flights. Let's see. Oh, there are not enough air marshals to cover every flight. So their assignments are kept secret. The exact numbers are kept classified. Oh, wow. Insiders estimate that only 5% of flights have a marshal on board. Yeah, that makes sense. That's a lot better. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. 
There's an well, average of 45,000 daily flights. Yeah. That's crazy. Know, is that's that just, just in the U.S. or is that worldwide? Uh, daily flights handled by the FAA. So that's the USA, right? Yeah. Well, in and out of Look, the USA. Oh. Okay, so... Okay, never mind. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. <clears throat> so, after he uh, shows off this attache case to this um, flight attendant, he then demands the following. $200,000 in $20 bills. Interesting that which, he cared about that. Which today would be the equivalent of like $1.2 I think. Um, $1.2 million. So basically, yes, for a million dollars. Yeah. And four parachutes. That weirded me out. Why did he want four parachutes? Backups. Gotta have backups. All right. So I two mean, of them, two of the parachutes were... Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. Back. We'll get oh, there. Okay, okay, okay. okay. Don't so forget his attache case. You don't want to lose that thing. He did not. Um, and so for the remainder of the flight, he basically didn't do anything. He had someone sit next to him and be a, uh, liaison between him and the, the crew, basically. And there were only 36 passengers on board, smaller plane, maybe big for that time. I don't know. And when he, they landed, oh, he also requested a fuel truck to be there and ready when they landed to refuel the plane. And after the flight landed in Seattle, he released all the passengers once authorities provided the money and parachutes. But he kept the two pilots, a flight engineer, and a flight attendant and had them stay on the plane. After it refueled, he ordered the pilots to fly to Mexico City from Seattle. It's a long flight. And he had like very specific instructions, which makes him makes me think he had he had aviation experience. But his instructions were the plane has to stay under ten thousand feet at a speed slower than two hundred knots. He further specified that the landing gear remain deployed in the takeoff slash landing position, and the wing flaps be lowered to fifteen degrees, and the cabin remain unpressurized. So, why on earth would he care about the landing gear being out while flying? And also, okay, I don't know what the wing flaps being 15 degrees does. I don't know enough about aviation to know how that affects a flight. And now, the, the cabin... I'm, I'm no expert, but I have played a lot of aviation video games. And when you you can't lower your gear, your landing gear, if you're going too fast... And so if you lower the landing gear at the right speed, then it also creates more drag on the plane, making it so that you can't fly as fast. So maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe, but why would he care about that? Because he's going to jump. Wouldn't you want to go faster? I don't know. Um, let's see. <clears throat> and by the he by saying cabin remained unpressurized, he wanted the staircase that led from the main fuselage open the whole time. Yeah, he's going to jump. 
Right. And then they basically said, that's not possible. The stairs can't be open because it's impossible to have it open if we're on the ground. Or I don't remember during takeoff, it's not possible in some way. And so he's like, all right, fine. Keep it closed until we're in the air. One of your people will teach me how to open it while we're in the air. And he agreed to that. And then they also said, based on the amount of fuel we have, I think, they said it was impossible to make it that far to Mexico City. Uh, of course, towards Mexico City, yeah. But... Yeah, it was it had a range of approximately one thousand miles, and I don't know how long the path was, but more than that. So he countered with that they should stop in Reno, Nevada, for a refueling stop, and then he further directed that the aircraft take off with one of the oh yeah here it is with the rear exit door open and its staircase extended. The objective on ground said it was unsafe to take off. With the staircase deployed, he eventually decided it would lower once they were airborne, asking Mucklow, one of the, the flight attendant he kept with him, to show him how to operate the stairs. So, surprisingly, I don't think this would ever happen today. It got off, the plane got off the ground with him in it. I don't think the FBI or whoever's in charge of like hostage situation kind of thing like that would even let the plane off the ground or even kind of get in, led into his demands at all that's surprising to me but so there's right. still people on this on this plane when they take off just for the four crew member and him that's it huh. so at seven, i don't think anyone i don't think anyone on the flight the original flight that he went on to seattle except for the crew knew what was going on oh yeah i think they said about like Maybe, like, one or two were suspicious, but other than that, no one had any idea about the skyjacking. Which is the way to do it. I mean, way not to, you know, make panic. <laughs> good good on him there. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. At approximately 7.40 p.m., the Boeing 727 took off with only Cooper, Captain Scott, Flight Attendant Mucklow, First Officer Ratatzak, Ratizak, I don't know, and the flight Ratzak. engine... Ratzak. And the flight engineer, Harold Anderson. Uh, two F-106 fighter aircraft from the McCord Air Force Base followed behind the airliner, one above it and one below it, out of Cooper's view. I did not know that before this. They had two planes following this thing this whole time. What Did it say what planes are following them? Two F-107 fighter aircrafts. So I heard that the FBI found out about the hijacking after the plane was in the air. So I'm wondering if somehow the crew or a suspicious passenger got out word of what was going on. And then, like, also, I would assume that at the time they still had some form of air traffic control. And so that plane would have had to, like, leave, you know, off the runway. And so I'm sure that there was some alarm of, like, hey, this plane... It's not scheduled to go out. Like, why is it leaving? You know, what's going on here? So I'm well, sure already, there was some suspicion. They already know about it. They gave him the 200 grand. Oh, true. Yeah, true. They, like, the, the police are involved already. They've given him the 200 grand. They've gotten the four parachutes for him. 
and they refueled it like he they asked him to like yeah right. they're they're fully aware right so sorry uh, have you seen a picture of the of the F107 sorry say it again have you seen any pictures of F107s uh, i have not was it F107 yeah that's what you said uh, it says F one oh six. Sorry. F one oh six. Is what it says. F one oh six. Okay. Is does that make more sense now? It does, because the F one oh seven is is definitely a different kind of plane. It's one that I haven't really seen before, and it has its main jets going on top. Oh. Um <clears throat> And it was a canceled plane. Yeah, the F one hundred six retired back in the fifties. <clears throat> what year did did uh, Cooper do all this? Seventy one. Okay, so yeah, there was just a few things that were like really weird with the yeah, one hundred six. Sorry, but one might have said it sense. Wrong. Hello, everyone. This is editing Jack coming from the future or the past. I don't know. After it was recorded, but before you guys hear it, so I, I, I don't know. Uh, this is for me to let you know that there is an ad break, unless you're on YouTube, then no ad. But also to let you know that Austin had a small family emergency that he needed to take care of at this point, and leaves for this episode, and isn't in it for the rest of the time. I'm so sorry. He'll be back in the next episode, though. Don't you worry. Thank you. All right, let's see what we got here. A Lockheed T-33 trainer, which is another type of plane, I... Yeah. Uh, diverted from an unrelated mission and also shadowed it before it ran low on fuel and turned back to Oregon-California state line. So, not only they had the two, those two, but they had a third one following it. After That's takeoff, interesting. Yeah. After takeoff, Cooper told Mucklow to join the rest of the crew in the cockpit and remain there and he, that he should not be disturbed with the door locked. So he's basically just like, get out of here, don't bother me, kind of thing. Uh, she complied. Mucklow observed Cooper preparing the parachutes as she left towards the cockpit. Um, at 8 p.m., approximately, a warning light flashed in the cockpit, indicating that the, air air, uh, the aft air stair apparatus had been activated. The pilots asked in the cabin intercom if Cooper was needed of assistance. He picked up the cabin <laughs> phone and said no. And that... Very accommodating. Um, I'm sorry, sir. Do, do you need assistance lowering the stairway? The stairs are coming down. He's like, uh, you good? And he's like, and nothing, dude. He's like, no. Get out of here. Um... The crew soon noticed a subjective change for air pressure, indicating that the door was open. Obviously, the door is open now. And they're well aware of it. At approximately 8.13, the aircraft's tail section sustained a sudden upward movement, large enough to require trimming and bring the plane back to a level flight. At some, and then at some point between 10 and 11.30, they landed with the staircase still deployed, and it caused damage to the plane because of it. Uh, after, as they landed, I don't know why it says some point between 10 and 11.30 they landed. I feel like they should know exactly when they landed. 
But then the, the FBI agents, state troopers, sheriff deputies, and Reno police were already there waiting to hop in and take action. Um, the crew left the cockpit and found that Cooper was no longer aboard the plane. So the FBI came on and were like, all right, let's get some evidence. Let's see what we got kind of thing. There was like nothing. The bomb wasn't there. Um, two of the four parachutes were missing. Uh, the only thing that were left behind was a clip-on tie and eight cigarette butts. And uh, let's see. But one of the two parachutes that was left on board had been open with two shroud lines cut from the canopy. Which, Ooh, what's a shroud line? You know, I'm not entirely sure. Let's find out what a shroud line is. Shroud line. Parachute. Let's see what we got here. Oh, those are just... That's literally the ropes from the harness to the parachute part. So, those were apparently cut. And it is unclear... At least according to the stories I've seen, if he was the one who cut them, or if they were pre-cut, you know... Like, if maybe they gave him bad parachutes on purpose. Because they don't want to help a, a criminal, you know? That's really interesting. Yeah. I That makes me also think kind of a little bit less about the government at well i mean how much less can you think about the government yeah. at the time they were doing mk ultra lsd experiments on yeah american citizens so i mean wild west during that time but that's really interesting to think about it i don't know why i don't know why every article i've looked at just glances over that fact i'm just like well who cut it was it him or because I, I could see Bull going both ways. Maybe they didn't want him to have good parachutes, or maybe he didn't want anyone following him kind of thing. So he made sure that none of the parachutes worked, and that it was, like, you know, obvious so that they wouldn't try to jump out and follow him. Hmm. I don't know. Um, are you able to see um, roughly... Yeah, you you were calling out different times that different things happened. Right. Are you able to see about what time it was saying that there were the two airplanes that were following them as to when, like, so when that was compared to when he probably jumped? Well, it's kind of hard to say when he jumped because nobody was out there, right? And somewhere, he jumped somewhere between 8 and 10 to 1130. Um, but... As far as the things that were following him, it's, it just says they took off at 7.40 p.m. Accompanied by two F-106 fighters that were out of his uh, range of view. So, I feel like they would have been there the whole time. I'm basically know. just trying to see um, how much flight time one of those 
can have and if they were most likely still in the air at the time that he jumped. I feel like they would have been. Let's see, I'm going to take... The FBI actually has the store, like, part most of the story up on their website on FBI.gov. Let's see. Oh, the government's definitely reliable, that's right. for sure. Let's see. It doesn't say exactly, so it's hard to tell. Yeah. This is under the code name Norjack for Northwest Hijacking. Yeah, it doesn't really say, but I find it insane that they had two planes following it and didn't see a person jump out. I I don't know. That's a little weird. Um yeah, I feel like they would have been able to see. Well, what time of day was this? At night? Oh, it was way, it was night. It was past 8, so and I mean they were fairly high up. So I'm guessing it was probably yeah. very difficult to see. Um they have a they have composite sketches from the the crew. Looks kind of like a creepy dude. <laughs> I'd say part alien for sure. Yeah. This is him. These are the sketches. Very uh menacing looking businessman for sure. So Kind of the question I have is what would the okay so let's let's go over the different scenarios of this so what makes this particularly um what's the word particularly interesting is that this guy had this this perfect escape where where he made out with the money was never caught, right? Right. So, first question, he jumped with the second parachute. To me, I feel like if he jumped with the second one, it probably makes sense that he just went with the second one just in case. Probably had his first one failed friend. or something like that. Right. Right. So that's my thinking on that. And... Perhaps he cut out the the material and the ropes uh-huh. just for uh, so that he could use it for certain. I don't oh, know, I'm 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 wondering if he stuff. probably like put the money in that or something like wrapped it up and uh, ah. it or something like that. But I mean, like, it's kind of funny because he took the bomb too. like he took everything. Like, how do you hang on to that much crap while you're parachuting, skydiving, you know? Yeah, maybe he was using that in not only to wrap it, but to also, like, wrap it around himself. Yeah, like, kind of use it as a strap around yourself, maybe. Yeah. Um, but, so, yeah, that's basically the – that's the entire story. And the the truth is, that's all we know, basically. Never caught the guy. It's been 50 years. And they haven't found much either. Um Actually, they did find some of the money, which was really? very interesting. Yeah, let's see. D.B. Cooper money found. Saw it on Reddit just the other day. And I was like, really? 
confused. Uh, I don't remember. It was in the it was in the eighties that some kid came across. I think it was like five grand in twenties that were just super super like decaying and old. Mm. And they tracked the numbers, and it was from the DB Cooper thing. They let him keep some of them, but then they took the rest. That's interesting. But yeah, no, this is. Uh, the FBI said this was, quote, one of the longest and most exhaustive investigations in its history. And initially, it was believed that Cooper knew both planes and the area, which speculated that he served in the military, possibly as a paratrooper. That makes sense. Um, and then if he, if he knows the guys, so this is where I'm kind of getting into going down the rabbit hole. Uh-huh. <clears throat> So what motivation would there be for uh, perhaps the government or military to either, one, allow this to happen, or two, this is someone in or employed by the government that is specifically trying to do something? I mean, what motivation is there? I would think it would be ex-military. Like, this guy was in the military, and now he's just gone rogue kind of thing. He wants money and doesn't care, and I don't know. That would be my guess, but um, but it was... You don't, you don't want to go down the rabbit hole with me? I, I, there's no reason <laughs> I could possibly think that would be an, an option for him, but why on earth would the... I don't know. It's possible. Anything's possible with the government, dude, especially back then, but... I just don't see any reason to it. I can't imagine why. I don't know. I mean, it's still an open investigation today. I don't think it would be if that were the case. Hmm. So what I'm seeing is that there is a possible theory that he didn't survive and that he could have just succumbed to injuries from his jumper trying to land possible but Um, how come they never found a body i mean it's the backwoods you got bigfoot up there it could just Hmm. tear him apart let's see so they decided that it was not an experienced skydiver because of how dangerous the jump was um like an experienced skydiver would never make that jump because they just know how dangerous it is uh, and that he failed to notice that his reserve parachute was sewn shut for use in training. I did so not. So this know that. is saying that those particular parachutes are not the type that could be steered either. And well, so at least one that of kind them. of landing is gonna be pretty rough landing. Let's see. The agency reportedly looked at some 800 suspects in the first five years, with almost all being eliminated. Some were rolled out bases on DNA recovered from the tie that Cooper took off before jumping. One prime suspect, Richard McCoy, was later arrested for a similar crime several months later. However, he was eliminated partly because he did not match the descriptions provided by the two flight attendants. Uh, yeah, it's just kind of weird. There was a D.B. Cooper who was a police officer in, I don't remember where, just, and they, you know, obviously brought him in, but it was 
obviously not him, like very clearly not him. It just happened to be the same name. Uh, many speculated that Cooper, who was outfitted in a business suit, trench coat, and loafers, did not survive. So there's that. Mm. Uh, at the al- altitude, the winds were more than 200 miles per hour, and the parachute he used could not be steered. In addition, he would have landed in a rugged, heavy wooded area. After years of dead-end leads, investigators received a break in 1980. Ah, oh, yeah, this is what I'm talking about. A boy found a decaying package containing $5,800 in 20s. It was buried along the Columbia River, north of Portland, some 20 miles from Ariel. So... In 1980, so what's the year difference in that? That's nine years after the jump. Nine? I don't feel like something would be buried after nine years. So, was it intentionally buried is the question. Did he bury some of the money to come back for it later kind of thing? Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, but yeah, the FBI distributed lists of the ransom serial number uh, bills to financial institutions, casinos, racetracks, and other businesses that routinely conducted large cash transactions and offered a 15% reward as a, of the recovered money. For, so about twenty five grand, it looks like. Um, and then in 72, the U.S. Attorney General released the serial numbers to the public to get their help as well. In 1972, two men counterfeit used counterfeit $20 bills printed with Cooper serial numbers. Um, so that that's kind of funny. <laughs> Imagine counterfeiting money and it happened to... The counterfeit you made happened to match the serial number of a hijacking... From two years earlier, or a year yeah, earlier. That's just bad luck. That's right just there. so bad luck, yeah. <laughs> Alright, so what do you think happened to the guy? I don't know. You think, uh, you think he got away or you think he died? I think he died. Really? I think so. I mean... No one found the money ever. Like... What's good money if you don't spend it? Well, I mean, he could have made it outside the country, probably. I mean, this is during the back in the days when, obviously, as Austin was saying, there's not as much um, travel security. So he probably could have gotten out of the country, gone to Canada would have been the closest. So. And maybe the Canadians are like, man, freaking Americans bringing their money up here. I got an American nickel in my <laughs> change today. Worthless. Um, but I mean, I I honestly think he's probably made it out alive. And he's, um, yeah, maybe he was injured. But to me, the fact that more money wasn't found, to me, that says that he made it out. That's fair. The buried thing weirded me out, too. Like, why was it buried along a river when they found the money? Um, Something interesting, though, is subsequent analysis indicated that the original landing zone estimate was inaccurate. Scott, the pilot, who was flying the aircraft manually because of Cooper's speed and altitude demands, 
later determined that his flight path was farther east than initially assumed. So they could have been looking in the wrong spot. Um, uh, and additionally, data from the vari- a variety of sources, in particular Continental Airlines pilot Tom Bohan, who was flying four minutes behind them, indicated that the wind direction factored into a drop zone calculations being wrong. As much by 80, possibly by as much as 80 degrees. So apparently they did the wind wrong too. Yeah, but then you also got the other um, aircrafts that are following behind them. I would think that if you've got those aircrafts plus the uh, 727, you have all of those instruments working together. You got to be able to know where the heck this guy went. Uh, Maybe not 50 years ago. Let's see, this and other supplemental data suggested that the actual drop zone was south-southeast of the original estimate, in the drainage area of Washougal River. An FBI agent wrote, I have to confess, if I were going to look for Cooper, I would head for Washougal. The Washougal Valley and its surroundings have been searched repeatedly by private individuals and groups in subsequent years to date no discoveries traceable to the hijacking have been reported some investigators have speculated that the 1980 eruption of mount saint helens could have obliterated any physical clues oh no that's very interesting but that was nine years after it happened Tell me nothing was found in the nine years? I can understand after that. It's possible. So, St. Helens erupted when? 1980. 80. And this guy was in the 70s. 71. That's when it happened. 71. And that kid found the... In the 80s. In the 80s. So that easily could have been after Mount St. Helens. Let's see. The eruption happened in March and May... Of 1980. When did he find them? I'm wondering if it was before or after. Uh, it's not saying. Okay, this is very interesting. I found a map with some very interesting information on there, including saying that Cooper and his pilot used three airstrips and three planes to hide his trail. They dropped $50,000 of ransom and the briefcase bomb into Lake Vancouver to fake a drowning, but it wasn't found until 1980. Um, Deep down in a dredging layer on Columbia's Tenabar. Wait, so were you saying the pilot was in on it? Uh, okay, where is this coming from? Because this is like a whole new side. Yeah, this I have never heard anything like that. Seriously, where is this coming from? So I clicked on the image and it just says error 404 that it's no longer a page. Of course. Let's see. Let's see. Subsequent FBI. Let's see. In late 2007, the FBI announced that a partial DNA profile had been obtained from three organic samples found on the clip-on tie. They later acknowledged there's no evidence that the hijacker was the source of the sample material. 
The tie had two small DNA samples and one large sample. So they don't know which one was his. Weird. That's interesting. That... That... Uh... Yeah, I don't know. I gotta find out where the heck this image came from. Because this is very interesting that... Um, shows the route that they took going from one airstrip to another airstrip and essentially where they're flying. And then there's some other maps showing where they searched and then more likely where he dropped. In January of 2017, it was reported that rare earth minerals such as cerium and Strontium, strontium, I have no idea. Sulfide had also been identified amongst particles from the tie. One of the rare applicants for such elements in the 1970s was Boeing supersonic transport development project, suggesting that Cooper was possibly an employee at Boeing. That's... So he had plain knowledge. That's interesting. The FBI okay. was skeptical about the Cooper's odds of survival. So I found a website that has that same picture, and it is mintsreader.wordpress.com. Mints? Yeah, mints with a Z. Oh. Yeah, they're getting fancy. Okay, what am I looking at here? What picture are you so referring to? So if you to? scroll down... Um, the map? Yeah, it's a map that's there and it has red line and black line. Yeah, I see Going it. through it. And um, it is the largest box in the bottom left corner. All right. With the number two under it. So that's where it's talking about supposedly this, there being um, other flights and... Uh, pilots involved. Cooper and his pilot used three airstrips and three planes to hide his trail. What does that mean? I'm trying to see in the rest of the text that it has just on the on the website. Oh, this is not English. Oh, I know that. <laughs> I just realized that this is not English. No. I had to translate it. I don't know, man. This uh, It's not the most reputable source I've ever seen in my life, so I'm not sure how much I trust <laughs> this map of theirs. Yeah. Because I'm not seeing them list out any more information in the website itself. Let's see. Oh, yeah, people, I, I don't people see say else. that he demanded four parachutes to force the assumption that he might compel one or more hostages to jump with him, thus ensuring he would not be deliberately supplied with sabotaged equipment. That makes sense. You want to make sure that you have a a getaway. 
Yeah, that's kind of smart, actually. In addition, Cooper was familiar with the important details, such as appropriate flap settings of 15 degrees, which was unique to that aircraft, the typical fueling retime, and he knew that this plane could have its stairs be lowered during flight and not be in danger of the engines of the plane. So he definitely, he definitely had plane knowledge. So this is interesting, saying <clears throat> that two weeks before uh, Cooper did this, there's a man by the name Paul Cini that did the exact same thing from an Air Canada DC-8. He ended up in the ambush of the flight crew when he put his gun to the tie. Um, he ended up in the ambush of the flight crew when he put his gun to tie the parachute. Well, this is however this is translating it. That's the way it translated. <laughs> Again, not sure I trust that source a ton. <laughs> No offense, but I don't know. Let's see. Yeah, I wonder what language this was before, because it didn't look like any language I was familiar with. Let's see. Uh oh. This is uh, Indonesian. Hmm. Maybe the Indonesians like their conspiracies just like we do. Oh, this is actually a pretty good website. And then it goes through um, different suspects as well as different theories of what happened. So theory one being that he didn't survive. Right. Theory two, that Cooper was working at Boeing. You mentioned that. Uh-huh. Theory three, he got away. So I guess theory two also includes he got away. <laughs> I, I, it could also include theory one, too. Let's see. But yeah, they're they're thinking they didn't he didn't have any experience jumping because a experienced parachutist would not have jumped in the pitch black of night in the rain with 172 mile hour wind in his face wearing loafers and a trench coat he also failed to bring or request a helmet okay I think this part is fun if you're still on that web page if you scroll down a little ways uh, past the halfway then you'll get into suspects uh -huh. so the first suspect Richard Floyd McCoy um yeah he was I, I talked about him earlier yeah he was the favorite suspect and shows a picture of him then suspect number two Dwayne L Weber and then suspect number three Kenneth Christensen if you take a look at a picture of him down at the bottom of who which one Kenneth Christensen that freaking looks like him that is like spot on, man. Do you see that? See. Yeah, that is pretty dang similar. That's that is freaking spot on. Kenneth served in the army 1944 and trained as a parachuper. The war was over when he um, 
When he was sent in 1945, after leaving the company, he joined Northwest Orient Airlines in 1954 as a mechanic in the South Pacific and later became a flight crew and later a finance manager in Seattle. But supposedly, the FBI doesn't believe that Kenneth uh, is Cooper because they believe Cooper is not someone who has the ability to jump off a plane. Meh. I don't know. This sounds like the guy knew what he was doing. <laughs> I think that's the guy. That is, that the, looks... The FBI stands by its position that Christensen cannot be considered the prime suspect. It cites the poor match to the eyewitness physical descriptions, a level of skydiving expertise above that predicted by their profile, and a complete absence of direct incriminating evidence. So they're saying he's too smart. He wouldn't have jumped. Meh. I'm looking at the number one suspect, Richard Floyd McCoy. That doesn't look like the same. I could see it if you're like, drawing. I don't know if. I could see it. Nah, I don't see it. Really? I think he looks pretty similar. He's got the same shaped face and everything. His eyes are kind of creepy. Yeah, I think his nose is way off. Uh, this page has a lot of people. Kenneth Christensen, Jack Kofelt, Lynn Cooper, Barbara Dayton, William Gossett, John List, Ted Mayfeather, Richard McCoy, Sheridan Peterson, Robert Rackshaw, Walter Recca, William Smith, and Dwayne Weber as the possible. Now, this is super interesting. In total... During 1972, there were 15 hijackings doing this same model as Cooper. People are like, well, he got away with it. I should be able to as well. Dude, that is crazy. And so then it was after all of that that the government started um, – they started making some changes to the aircraft. They started making changes to uh, security that's crazy. Freaking 15 of those that are getting to, and this is what I always hear is the is the government saying like we can't make any uh, uh accommodations for terrorists or right. anyone that's like has a hostage because then it'll just cause more people to do it. And they freaking had 15 people do this in the same year. Yeah, let's see. Uh 30 well, let's see despite the Initiation of the Federal Sky Marshal Program in the previous year, 31 hijackings were committed in the U.S. airspace in 1972. 19 of them were for the specific purpose of exhorting money, and most of the rest were attempts to reach Cuba. In 15 of the extortion cases, the hijackers also demanded parachutes. In 1973, the FAA began requiring airlines to search all passengers and their bags, amid that they were acceptable and applied or made multiple lawsuits charging that such searches violated the Fourth Amendment protections against a search and seizure. Federal courts ruled that they were acceptable when applied universally and when limited to searches for weapons and explosives. And then in 1973, only two hijackings were attempted, both by psychiatric patients. Mm, that is very interesting. But that's what I find really interesting is like, why is D 
DB Coop, what what makes him stand out? Because at the like starting this story, it's easy to think like, oh, this guy made it out, like that's incredible. But that's not that incredible. This is like just one of many circumstances right. that this has happened. I think it's because it's the first notable one, and second, it's they never found him or any evidence surrounding him. Nothing. No. No clothes washed up to shore. No, I guess they did find some of the bills, but like that's it. I don't know. It's kind of crazy. Well, that's a good story. Um, I think that there's uh, still potential rabbit hole area that maybe could be gone into. I don't know where oh, the yeah. heck this other map came from, saying that. <laughs> He had other people involved. Some random but... Indonesian website, WordPress <laughs> site that you got to. From Mint's Reader. That's yeah. crazy. That's interesting. Well, that's a good story. It's insane. It's overall, you think that he died? There's no way he survived that. Right? Mm. I think he survived. Well, let's Especially see. if it's that guy that I think it is that looks just like him. He's a paratrooper. He's been trained in it. He knows how to to fall out of a plane and how to land. Well, if it is that guy you think it is. I can't remember where, but someone in the FBI said that like because of the wind condition oh right here. The FBI speculated from the beginning that Cooper did not survive his jump, diving quote, diving into the wilderness without a plan, without the right equipment, in such terrible conditions, he probably never even got the chute open. Even if he did land safe, me, safely, agents contended that survival in the mountainous terrain at the onset of winter would have been all but impossible without an accomplice at, the predeter- at a predetermined landing spot. They w- that w- this would have required a precisely timed jump, necessitating in turn cooperation from the flight crew. There is no evidence that Cooper requested or received any such help from the crew, nor that he had any clear idea where he was, was when he jumped into the stormy overcast darkness. So I actually take back my comment that because no money, other money was found, that uh, that's probably means he got away. Because with thinking about Mount St. Helens, he could have easily died and then would have been buried. And there's no way that we would find him. Yeah. Yeah, it's... uh... It's crazy, and it's probably one of the ones that we'll never know the answer to. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Sadly, he'll just go down as D.B. Cooper. Yeah, that's insane. Well, that's pretty good. Sad Austin didn't get to get to the conclusion of all this. Yeah, it's too bad. But, you know, but life hey. happens, so. We'll uh, give him the responsibility to carry on the the next podcast story. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Um, let's see. What was the last state we did? Well, ooh, Georgia? Ooh. Does that sound right? Um, let's see. Could be Georgia. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think it's Georgia. Episodes. Our last episode was Georgia. Yep. 
Well, that's the only one that we posted, but we did record Hawaii. Uh, Hawaii's posted as well. So Hawaii's after Georgia. Uh, well, we did not post it after Georgia. We posted it before Georgia. <laughs> and then there's oh, Idaho. Wait. Yeah, we did Idaho. We did Idaho. Yeah, yeah, we recorded that one. You don't remember Idaho? I don't remember that has, Idaho. That has the the crying babies. Oh, the Idaho water the babies. I'm pretty yeah. sure that file got corrupted. Ah. If I remember correctly. All right. Probably so got we, re-record we don't that. have that. But yeah, so I don't know if you got if you got a state coming up, let us know what you got on social media or I guess YouTube comments now is an option. YouTube comments. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Yeah, this is kind of a boring episode. Not boring, but like boring visual video. Um, I don't know. We'll probably get better over time, but this is more of like a just put a face to the voice kind of thing and yeah, also reach yeah. more people. I don't know. There's probably Which, a lot. Of... I really think that the video, if we're adding video into this now, then this is going to be um, a lot more interesting whenever we can get together. But I know that's going to be really difficult right. with Austin living far away now. And COVID. And COVID. So not our fault. Not our fault. Uh, we'll we'll try to make it happen though, but I mean, this isn't bad. It's not too bad. It's easy. We can see each other, and <laughs> it's easy too. And it's easy. There you go. And eventually, eventually, we'll have our own recording studio and mansion to record in. You know. Hopefully, we'll follow along in Joe Rogan's footsteps and have crappy podcasts at the beginning, but we'll get better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll we'll, have, we'll smoke with old Elon. <laughs> well thank you so much guys for listening we always love having you with us and love to get your comments as well once again always. hit us up in the social and now in the comments in youtube uh yeah send us your your personal encounters or stories that you've heard of that you would like us to share or something you'd like us to cover anything really if you just want to say hi we'll say hi we'll read we'll read something on for for the people to hear we're we're all about the people we're men of the people tell them our our email where they can send their stories that would be tangent podcast at outlook.com you can also send them to like a direct message on instagram or i don't know what else we do that's 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 austin's job <laughs> I, I believe our uh instagram handle is real tangent pod i'm like 47 percent sure <laughs> yeah, you'll find yeah. it you'll find it um and yeah that's that's pretty much it and we appreciate all of you and enjoy the rest of your lives i guess i don't know Thank you so much, guys. Have a good one. Bye-bye.